you have your Bibles with, with you this morning, turn with me to Job chapter 14. Let me apologize in advance to some of you folks that were here a couple Wednesday nights ago. Um, I'm not going to preach the same message, but I'm going to read the same text. And there are several other places I could have gone to this morning for the same thought, but for whatever the reason, my mind has been kind of hung up in this passage of Scripture for a couple of weeks. And, and, and uh, you know, this morning is more of a, it's more of a topical message. I'm not going to really dig a whole lot down into this particular passage of Scripture. I just kind of want to use it as a, maybe a springboard thought for um, just a, a topic that I want to talk about this morning. Um, <clears throat> Job chapter 14, I'm just going to read the first two verses. Um, there's a lot in this uh, chapter that we could talk about, but the first two verses... Um, say simply this, man that is born of a woman is of few days and full of trouble. He cometh forth like a flower and is cut down. He fleeth also as a shadow and continueth not. Um, a couple of Wednesday nights ago I used this passage of scripture. Bill, Brother Bill Mullis brought a devotion a few weeks ago and he compared these two passages of Scripture, Job chapter 14, verse 1, with John chapter 14, verse 1. Job said that a man is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. John chapter 14, verse 1 says, Let not your heart be troubled. Our life can be full of trouble, but our heart doesn't have to be troubled. And I used that a couple of Wednesday nights ago to talk about living in between the days of trouble that, that, that are our life much of the time and not having a troubled heart. This morning I'm going to take it a different direction. This is kind of, Job chapter 14 is, verse 1 and 2 is almost just a morbid thought. I mean, it's, it's, it's man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. That's depressing. I mean, that, that literally just gives us a glimpse at what our life is like. It is brief, it's troubled, and then it's over. Um... There's not a lot of hope being cast in those two verses. There's not a lot of optimism um, in those two verses. Almost depressing. At the same time, there's a lot of truth in those two verses. Life is brief. Death is certain. Mortality rate is 100%. Between our birth and our death... We just live in a troubled world. There's a lot of truth in that. Um, Cindy and I, we went up to, we rode, I, I, somebody said, they, we saw y'all walking. Uh, we rode the elevator to the top <laughs> and walked back down. And Cindy went in a couple of caves up there. We saw some older folks. That I felt kind of guilty because I think they assumed we probably walked up and were walking back down. We didn't. But there were some older folks that were walking up. And Cindy's like, I don't know how they're doing that. I'm like, they're obviously in better shape than we are. And she's like, I don't feel old. And I promise you, there's some 80-year-olds in here that'll tell you right now, I don't feel old. I'm still young in my mind. I can't do what I used to do. I got more aches and pains than I used to have, but I'm still young in my mind. I, I never, I've never run into any. I've run into a lot of people that said, when the Lord's ready for me, I'm ready to go. But I've never heard anybody say I've lived too long. I've heard folks say I've, I've lived a good long life, but I've never heard somebody, never heard anybody say I wish it had been shorter. Man that is born of woman 
is a few days and full of trouble. And then like a flower, he's cut down and withers away. Now, when you look at the context, we know what Job went through. Job was a, was a good man, a man who loved the Lord, a man who walked in his integrity, a man that was worried about his kids. I mean, he was worried that his kids were going to do something to arouse the justified anger of God against them because of their sin. So the Bible tells at the beginning of the book that he prayed often for his children. That he, he went and made sacrifices on their behalf. He did what he could to get them in a good place with, with God. To stand in the gap, to be a mediator, which is what every parent ought to be. And then in, in one day, he lost all of them. Along with all of his servants and all of his cattle and all of his wealth. It's gone. No wonder he said, man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. I don't know how much time elapsed between then and the next trial. But on another day, the Bible says that Job was smitten. From the top of his head to the soles of his feet with sore boils. So much so that he sat in the ashes and scraped himself with a pot's herd trying to find relief. He lost his health. His wife said, just curse God and die. His friends up to chapter 14 said, Job... This wouldn't be happening to you if you hadn't done something wrong. Just confess your sins and get right with God and all this calamity will leave. Job said, you're all miserable comforters. Best thing they did for him was sat in silence for seven days and mourn with him. No wonder he said, man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. His mind had gone to a deep place here in this passage of Scripture. He just looking at it at a glance. It's brief, it's troubled, and then it's over. But driven from that thought is, is the substance of what I want to say to you this morning. Um, I'm not going to try to break down everything Job said after this, but Job's situation is a reminder to us that there's not one person in this room who knows what today's going to bring or tomorrow's going to bring. Now, we all got our hopes and our dreams and our plans and nothing, nothing wrong with any of those things. But the reality is Job in one day lost all of his children and all of his possessions one behind another, gone. Then another day he lost his health completely. We don't know what a day is going to bring us. We don't know what tomorrow is going to bring us. I was talking to Edwin a couple of weeks ago. A week before last I went to visit him in the hospital. He made some major improvements. He's able to carry on a conversation with you now. I hadn't, I hadn't had the opportunity to converse with him. He... 
up until that point, he had essentially had to answer you with yes and no questions. He couldn't get into a lot of detail, but his his ability to process stuff has come back. His ability to articulate it has largely come back. But I said, Edwin, did you feel the stroke coming on? He said, not until just before. He was scheduled. The reason they found Edwin is because he was supposed to go help his sister finish cleaning out their mom and dad's house so they could put it up for sale. He'd been working on it. He'd been going back and forth every weekend. That's the reason a lot of time he wasn't at church. He was Ferndina working on it. He'd promised his sister he'd be there at a certain time. When he wasn't there, she started calling family members saying, will you go check on Edwin? Because Edwin did what he said he was going to do. He kept his word. If he told you he was going to be there and he was going to do it, he did it. But I said, Edwin, did you feel it coming on? He said, I opened the door to my truck and threw some of my stuff inside, and I thought, something don't feel right. And he said, my intention was to just go sit on the porch until whatever it was that had come over me was gone. And he said, I remember grabbing the porch post with my hand and just sliding down. And he said, I had to be in and out of consciousness the next couple of hours, but when he regained consciousness in the hospital, he couldn't put a sentence together. He couldn't say a word. He couldn't move his hand, the one that he depended on. In a matter of a few seconds, all of his plans... All of his dreams, all of his aspirations took a completely different course. Everything changed. Had they not found him when they found him, he may not even be here today to talk about it. Last Sunday afternoon, Heather Minshew, some of you know her, at church at New Life Assembly of God, where she's faithful and where she serves, she has a great spirit about her. Every time I've ever been around her, she's been bubbly. Somebody walks in the church building, leans over and whispers in her ear, your son's just killed in a tragic accident on his motorcycle. In one second of time, everything can change. I watched some of the video this week of that storm hitting. Y'all see? Y'all watched some of that? Some of the time-lapse video? By the way, Cindy and I watched a cloud melt this week. We were sitting on top of the mountain looking up, and I'm like, that cloud just disappeared. Not just blew away, disappeared. I thought the rapture people might be right. Maybe he is coming back today. <laughs> I put my camera on time-lapse and just watched them melt. They, were, they evidently were hitting some dry air, and they just melted like cotton candy. Pretty cool. But I watch the videos. You watch people's houses standing in a time-lapse video. And ten minutes later, there's nothing there. I don't know what plans they had. I don't know what dreams they had. I don't know how, but I know everything changed since last week. Now they've got a new priority. Now they've got different plans. Now they've got another hardship. Tragedy usually does strike suddenly. 
We don't plan for it, do we? We don't really anticipate it. Now, I get it. That we, they said there's a storm out. We don't know where it's going. We don't know what it's going to do. But tragedy generally, when it comes, and one reason we call it tragedy is that strikes all of a sudden. <clears throat> and, and, and when it does, everything changes. Whatever was left undone oftentimes remains undone. And sometimes we live with all those regrets of what's been left undone. <clears throat> I'm not trying to be heavy this morning. I just want to tell you, it's okay to make plans for tomorrow. In fact, I think it's good to make plans for tomorrow. But I got a question I want to ask you this morning, and that is simply this. What if tomorrow never comes? Y'all stop singing Garth Brooks in your head. <laughs> what if tomorrow never comes? What if even if it does come, all of the realities that we're living in today are different tomorrow? That, that's true for Edwin and Chris. All of their realities changed. They're still here. Tomorrow came, but it's got a whole different set of circumstances along with it. And it could happen that way. Job, Job went on to say in this passage of Scripture, it would have been better for me if I'd never been born. Because tomorrow came for him, but when it came for him, he didn't have any children to worry about anymore. Didn't have any health. Didn't have any wealth. Tomorrow came, but the reality of tomorrow was completely different than what he had lived in. And it could happen that way for us. I mean, we won, we won natural disaster away from tomorrow looking different than today. We, we are an economic collapse away from tomorrow looking very different than today. And you know what? When you talk about tragedy, here's what nobody thinks tragedy will ever happen to them. Nobody is expecting that tragedy. In spite of the fact that it's all around us every day and we see other people going through it, we never expect it in our own lives. 2020 should have enlightened us to the fact that things can change very, very quickly. Y'all remember walking around in, in, in grocery stores in the early days of 2020, how all of a sudden we're like, this is a strange world that we're living in right now. And it wasn't like this a few weeks ago, a few months ago. We're living with a, with a new dynamic that we had to learn to adapt to. Now, I'm not trying to be a pessimist. I'm not trying to bring you down. That ain't my, that ain't my intention today. But I do want to be a realist. And let me just share with you a truth that I hope stays with you. Today. And, and you can say this tomorrow, too. Today, every day, is the most important day of your life. Because you don't know if tomorrow is going to come. When you wake up in the morning, you ought to say, if tomorrow doesn't come, then today is the most important day of my life. 
This is real simple this morning. I'm not trying to make it complicated, but I just got three questions I want to ask you. If tomorrow never comes, is there something that you, that you need to make right with someone today? In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said that if you came to worship, if you came to a house to worship, and you remembered that you had aught, that you had anything against your brother. That you leave your gift at the altar. And that you go to your brother and you make amends. And then you come back to worship. I'm, I'm a, listen to me. The most important thing in this world outside of your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ is your relationship with other people especially Christian people. Is there somebody that you need to ask for forgiveness? Or is there somebody that you need to extend forgiveness to? I've I've seen too many families and been involved in too many situations where people left stuff undone. And there was a lot of hurt and a lot of heartache and a lot of pain And a lot of regret. What if you leave it behind? What if they leave it behind? And I I get it. I know. I understand this. You may have tried... You may not have tried because you think you know what the outcome is going to be. But can I tell you that however, however people respond to your request for forgiveness or your extension of forgiveness, whichever scenario you're talking about, their, their response is not your responsibility. It isn't. They can let you go or not go, but that ain't on you. That's on them. And, and you, can, you can still make today and tomorrow easier for yourself and easier for them if you do the right thing. Now, I'm, I, I'm, I'm telling you from personal experience, uh, and I'm not saying this in any way whatsoever to, to dishonor him, but y'all know Brother Raymond Mercer and I, bun- we bumped heads. I mean, we knocked heads. He's the, he's the reason I'm here. <laughs> he's, the, he's the phone call that brought me to Zion Hill. But in, in, our, in our, my ministry here, in our lives, Brother Raymond and I, we would knock heads. I mean, we would. And um, there, were, there were times I, I know that he didn't like me, and there were certainly times I didn't like him. And we struggled in that relationship with each other for most of my ministry here. But I done lived with too much regret over some other things that I left undone. And so it was even before Miss Ann passed, but I had to go sit down with Brother Raymond one day and just say, hey, I've sucked at being your pastor. I've mistreated you. Ignored you. Spoke bad and I'm sorry 
he made some apologies that day too. I'm not going to tell you we just became bosom best buddies after that. But I was at peace. He was at peace. And when I preached this funeral, there was absolutely no animosity. Nothing that I regretted. There had been something between us. I did what I could to make it right. Because you live and you learn that you don't always get the chance. And regret's a heavy load to carry. I appreciate Wade. Wade addressed something to me. I've been carrying something alone for two years now. I mentioned it last sermon I preached here. And was under conviction about it at this same time last year and didn't do anything about it. It involved me being offended by somebody and me retaliating in a way that made them look at me differently than they did. I lost their respect. Let me just put it like that. I did. And rightfully so. You can say, you're just giving them what they gave you. Well, maybe I was, but that ain't what God's called me to do. And so I asked them to forgive me. And I named it. I spelled out what I did. And I said, there ain't no excuse for it. I expect more out of myself. God certainly expects more out of me as a pastor and as a Christian. And I don't want to do anything that would ever diminish or bring reproach in any way to the cause of Christ. There's a satisfaction and peace that comes from just doing what you know needs to be done. Stop carrying it. I could stop right there, but I ain't. Do you need to recommit your life to Christ? I think that there are too many Christians today who are living. I'm not questioning people. I'm not questioning folks' salvation. It's not my business. I think there are going to be people in heaven I fully didn't expect to see there. When it comes to your salvation, that's between you and Jesus. He knows and you know. Apart from that, I'm just a fruit inspector. But I will tell you this. There's a lot of Christians, a lot of professing Christians that are walking out around in this world today with open, public, presumptuous sin. Hindrances. Lukewarm in their relationship. What does that make your Christian witness look like? What, what does it do to your witness? I, I appreciate Wade. Wade did what Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 says to do. If any of you are overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore him. He was more spiritual than I was because he addressed it. And he did it in the right way. 
That's what a brother does. That's that we help each other. I made my peace. Things I feel much better. It feels like a hundred thousand pounds is lifted off of me because I've been putting off what I needed to do. But when we live our life laden with sin, when we live our life lukewarm, when we live our life being hindered by everything in the world from from fleshing out our faith in Christ, what does that make our witness look like to our family? What does it make it look like to our friends? What does it make it look like to those people that work around us every day, we live in their presence. What kind of witness are we being for the Lord Jesus Christ? Is, is, is there a time when we just need to say, look, I've gone too far, I've drifted too far. Um, I, I'm not making the best of the time that he's given to me and I may not have tomorrow. Opportunity has an expiration date. Do you understand that? Opportunity has an expiration date. There are some people that God only put in your lives for a few moments. That's got a pretty short expiration date. There are some folks that you won't have a season. I remember when we got the phone call about Cindy's brother. You know, the first thing that ran through her mind is I'm not sure he was ready. The first thing that ran through my mind was I was a horrible witness. Did I try hard enough? He was hard to talk to, so I didn't talk to him. What did that make him think about me? If he really believes I ain't right with God, why ain't he saying something to me about it? Why ain't he fleshing it out around me? Why? <clears throat> Opportunity to be a witness has an expiration date. Because you don't know when their life is going to end. You don't know when yours is going to end. You don't know when that opportunity is going to be passed. What if you keep wasting that opportunity? Parents, I, got, I don't know that my heart is burdened about anything any more than this. Parents, I'm going to tell you I had one huge advantage growing up. A huge advantage. Even though I, I took a path of hellious rebellion from the time I was about 13 years old to the time I was 26, I was as far away from God as I could get and running further. But I had one blessed, gracious privilege that a lot of kids didn't, and that is that my parents, every day of my life, fleshed it out in front of me spoke it with their lips and lived it with their lives. And so I never questioned the reality of that faith. When it came time for God to get my attention, they hadn't wasted any opportunities. They had taken every one God had given to them. And it made a difference in my life. I found this chart. Can you put that up, Zena? I think the International Bible Society did this survey. This is where kids come to faith in Christ. Only 1% come to Christ in the ages of 0 to 4. And you could argue that even that 1%, do they really know what they're doing in those years? Some may. Four to 14, 85% of kids that come to Christ come in that 10-year window of time essentially between being a toddler and a teenager 
15 to 30, it drops to 10%. 30 plus, it drops down to 4%. And the I, only I, reason I share that graphic is, parents, you ain't got a whole lot of time. You don't. You got 10 years, really, to make a spiritual impact in the life of your child that has eternal implications in their life. And I'm going to tell you, if you live hypocritical and lukewarm and indifferent and apathetic in those years, you're not impacting them the way you think you are. They see it. A kid sees hypocrisy more than anybody else in the church sees it because they live with you. My kids saw hypocrisy in my life. I have no doubt. They saw things that I refused to see in myself. They live with me. They saw things I'm quite certain that you have not seen. We got to be careful about that window of opportunity that we have. Nobody ever left this world regretting that they were full of zeal and commitment to Jesus. Nobody. I, nobody ever said, I gave too much time to Jesus. I gave too much effort to Jesus. I gave too much to my witness. I've, I've, I've known a lot of people that said, I wish I'd done more. I wish I'd invested more. I wish I'd have been more faithful. Don't mean they didn't make it to heaven. It does mean they squandered a lot of opportunity on earth that they'll never have opportunity to have again. And my last question is very simple. You may not need to recommit your life to Christ. You may need to give your life to Christ. I'm convinced of this. There's a lot of people out there who profess to know Jesus as their personal Savior who just know about Jesus. I knew a lot about Jesus my whole life. But until I was 26 years old, I didn't know him. I could tell you a lot of facts about him. I didn't have any intimacy with him. I didn't have a relationship with him. It made all the difference in the world. Changed my life radically from the inside out. Still changing my life. I ain't got over it yet. I won't ever get over it. I won't ever forget that night when I, I didn't just know about him. I laid my life at his feet and said, it's a wreck. Literally. If you can do anything with it. Here. Have mercy. Forgive me. Save me. Use me. There may not ever be an opportunity beyond this one. I'm not saying that trying to scare you into a decision. In fact, I think that's what, a lot of what's wrong today. We've we frightened people into a decision. I'm just telling you a fact. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, I have heard thee in an accepted time, in the day of salvation have I succored thee. I've drawn you because, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. John chapter 6, verse 44, Jesus said this, No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. And I'll raise him up at the last day. That's those that come to him. But you can't come 
unless the Father draws. Now listen to me. You look around in this world today, and there are people in this world who have no conviction of sin. Who have no fear of God. No fear of death. Romans chapter 1 tells us about those folks. That they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. That they, they heard about it, that they saw the things of God. But they rejected those things. Professing themselves to become wise, they became fools, the Bible says. And God gave them up. Twice in that passage it says, God gave them up. And one time it says God gave them over to a reprobate mind, which means they have no conscience. No conscience of sin, no consciousness of God, no consciousness of eternity. I've stood at the deathbed of a man like that. The last words that he ever spoke to me on this side of the grave were, I've never asked God for anything and I'm not about to ask him now. I preached his funeral a few days later. All I could do was preach the gospel. He never, not with his lips to me, he never professed Christ as his personal Lord and Savior. In fact, he said, I don't need him. His wife got out on her hands and knees and begged him to pray. And I'm like, look, I get that angst. I get that heartache. But if the Spirit's not drawing, He can't come if He... He, he won't want to come. I'm telling you, I ain't here. I ain't saved this morning because I went chasing after Jesus. I'm saved this morning because Jesus came chasing me. And I threw up the white flag of surrender and said, Lord, I'm, 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 I'm done running. All I have is yours. What are you waiting for? I, I'm, I'm closing. What are you waiting for? Why are you going to put off tomorrow, till tomorrow, what you know that you can do today? Is there somebody that you need to make things right with? Why are you going to wait? Because you don't know. We do not know what tomorrow is going to bring us. If you've been living, listen, I had somebody freely admit this week, I've, I've, I'm, I'm hindered, I'm, I'm, I make excuses, I'm, I'm not doing the things that I know I need to do. I, I, I freely, openly admit that. And that's good, that's the first step. But, but confession ain't repentance. And you can confess that sin all day long, but until you turn away from it, you're still bogged down in it. And your witness is still hindered, and you're still not being the light of the world and the salt of the earth, which is our reason for being here. So what are you waiting for? What if it what if it doesn't come? 
What if, what if you never have another opportunity to do what you know that you need to do right here this morning? Proverbs chapter 27 verse 1 says, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. I didn't give her the scripture, but you can read James chapter 4 verse 13 to 14 about people who boast about what they're going to do tomorrow. James said all such boasting is sinful. Because you don't know what a day is going to bring. Matthew chapter 6 verse 34. Take no thought. Take therefore no thought for tomorrow. For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. So whatever you need to do. You need to do it today. Because our life can be completely redefined. For good or for bad, in a, in a matter of mere seconds. From one minute to the next. And, and, and the truth is, Job told the truth. One day tomorrow won't come. One day it's not going to come. For me, one day it's not going to come for you. One day it's not going to, tomorrow's not going to come for any of us here. And, 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 and when that happens today is going to be what mattered. What you did today is going to be what mattered for that tomorrow that never came. So what are you going to do with today? And, and I would simply say this. I'm not, I'm not trying to be heavy. I'm not trying to be... I'm not trying to lay upon you a depressing, heavy, somber spirit. I'm trying to awaken all of us to the reality that everything can change. For good or bad. In a matter of moments. And I think you have the opportunity right now. If the Spirit is moving in your life. If the Spirit is convicting you in your life. If the Spirit is drawing you. The only response. That you ought to give Him is one of complete. Surrender and submission. I hear you. I believe you. I'm laying it down. I'm going to make things right with my brother today. I'm going to recommit my life to you today. I'm going to give my life to you today without reservation. Right here, right now, today. That in a moment will change your life. Now, and if you make that decision to trust Christ, it'll change your life forever. If, even if tomorrow doesn't come. So what do you need to do today if tomorrow never comes? Cindy's favorite song is, I don't know about tomorrow. 
but I know who holds it. And as long as he's holding me, I'm not going to worry about what tomorrow brings. As long as I'm doing what I'm supposed to do today, there's no need for me to worry about what tomorrow brings. I'm going to ask our musicians to come. Let's stand. Lord, I'm... Asking you right now just to do what you do. Everybody that I know and love in this world at one time was doing everything they knew to do to change me. Begging and pleading and bargaining and making stipulations. None of those things were wrong, but it was not until you moved. It was not until you convicted me. It was not until I was convinced that I was wrong. Not until you drew me into the truth and showed it to me. That I changed. And so that's I, I'm, I'm asking you right now, Lord, just to do what you do, and what I can't do. Sometimes I think the word, the truth, just needs to lay heavy on our heart. We need to wrestle with it, think about it, ponder it, be reminded of it, because your word. Is used by the Holy Spirit to open our eyes, to break our hearts, change us. I don't want one person to walk out of this building this morning with any regret. The surest way for that to happen is for them just to respond to your voice. We can, we can leave this place making today a better day than it was when we came in here. Which will make tomorrow, if it comes, a better day as well. Just do what you do. Have your will in your way. If somebody here needs to be saved, today is the day of salvation. If you're calling, now is the time. Now is the time. We just give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. He's not mad at you, and he's not disappointed, his grace is greater still.